Hi, and welcome to Girl Boss Radio from Panoply. I'm Sophia Amruso, founder of Nasty Gal and the author of Girl Boss. We're coming to you from the Nasty Gal headquarters in downtown LA in a funky little closet sandwiched between the bathroom and my office. Every week, I'm going to be talking to kick ass girl bosses to find out how they got to where they are today. Today's guest is Grace Helbig. Grace Helbig is a YouTube sensation on her hit show, It's Grace. She has over two and a half million subscribers on YouTube. She's a fellow podcaster and the New York Times bestselling author of Grace's Guide, The Art of Pretending to Be a Grown-Up. Hey, Grace, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, Grace, you're from New Jersey. I am from New Jersey. Like, I grew up in like a really small stereotypical suburban town it was like one square mile my graduating class in high school was 150 kids wow. yeah and I went to a small liberal arts college in northern New Jersey but my college was 45 minutes outside of New York so I started interning a lot in the city and taking the bus and the train into the city so I moved right after college to Brooklyn cool. and then stayed there for like five years, which was great. I highly recommend all millennials moving to a city after they graduate college. I agree. I miss New York and I love it very much. And I'm really glad that I moved there first before Los Angeles. Yeah. Because Los Angeles is a little soft and a little slower. Yeah. And so New York City, I think, just gives you, you don't realize how much you put up with in the city until you leave it. You're like, wow. I know I visit and I'm like, oh my God, it's, taking out trash. Yeah, it's so stressful. How did you get into comedy? I have uh, all brothers. I have a younger brother, two stepbrothers, and an older brother. I thought that they were like the funniest people in the world. My older brother and my older stepbrother were really close. And they used to make sketch comedy like movies and stuff for school projects. And I would watch them. I just really wanted to make them laugh growing up. And one time... I remember in like fourth or fifth grade, I was doing a Cartman impersonation from South Park. It was the first year that South Park came out. So it was this huge rage that everyone was loving. Can you do that right now, please? It was something like, it was so crude and bad, but it was like, get Kenny's cream cone. (laughs) It was like that, but from a fourth grade girl in the backseat of a car on a family trip, my older brothers were so weirded out by it that they just started laughing. And I was like, got them. I made them laugh. And I love that feeling so much that I wanted to chase that and I wanted to make people laugh. And when I went to college, I knew I wanted to get into the creative side of things, but I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And then kind of had a revelation halfway through college that I wanted to pursue comedy and started taking improv classes in the city while I was still in undergrad. And then after I moved, started performing improv comedy and it all kind of went from there. There's a real community in the comedy world, which was so cool because I wasn't involved in a lot of groups at college. So having a community was a wonderful new experience. And so I really embraced it and loved it. And then just it took me to a bunch of weird places, and now I'm here. I know. What was the tipping point for you? I mean, you moved. When was it that you moved to your own YouTube channel? You were with a, I was someone with, else. Yeah. Well, when I was, right when I graduated college, my roommate and I, at the time, we had started watching these two girls named Beth and Val make videos. And it was just the two girls in front of their eyesight on their oh, yeah. laptop computer answering people's questions, and it was jump cut, and they were really funny. And it was the first time I'd seen jump cuts happen like that. And I was so enamored with it and obsessed with it that I told my roommate, Michelle, we have to start doing this. We could do this. So we started. And then 
eventually my damn channel this website got in touch with me because they were looking for someone to host their website and direct their audience around to show them all of the new content that they had they experimented with me and asked me to create a series for them and we gave it a three-week period of five videos a week and I yeah and then it blew up and it was on their website for two years. I was making five videos a week for them. And then we moved it over to YouTube for another two years. And it grew into like two and a half million subscribers, which was crazy. And it got away from obviously hosting my damn channel and more into like my own comedy bits. And it became my job. So I didn't have to wait tables anymore in the city. I could actually sit at home and make comedy videos and then go out and perform improv comedy at night and go on auditions thinking that TV and film was going to be the route for me, that this was my survival job now. And then when I found the YouTube community, like the comedy community, it blew my mind that it was actually a viable career for all of these young creatives and that they all owned their content and they were all completely independent and they were doing it by themselves. And I realized fuck, I am in a terrible, terrible contract with this company. I'm hired as an independent contractor and they own all of my videos. So I finally left them two years ago, three years ago, something like that now, Okay. and started my own channel, cool. which was crazy. How many subscribers do you have now? I have 2.7 million, That's I amazing. think. It's really bonkers. It's so weird because- It's like a city of people. It's really weird. And I'm sure you get this too. It's It doesn't make sense when you just see it online, but when you go and do live events or you do signings or anything like that and you see the people and the faces that are the representation of the numbers, it really hits you and it's a very strange experience. Oh, I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. What's the weirdest and or coolest thing that's happened in like an encounter with- you know, one of your fans or viewers? I don't think that I've had a standout weird experience, so the door's wide open for That's the future. <laughs> yeah, but knock, it's, knock. they give gifts a lot, which is very strange to me because growing up, I wasn't in a fandom at all. Like, I didn't have a person or a thing that I would consider even waiting in line to meet or, like, yeah. go, or an event to go no, to. No, it's the same. It's the same, and I love it. Yeah. But I in Girlboss... You know, be your own idol. Yeah, yeah, Which yeah. I think when you're not impressed, it mm-hmm. leaves room f- for you to impress yourself and other people. Totally. Um, if you see yourself as other than, yeah. oh, I'm not on the same level, or I don't belong here, or this person mm-hmm. is more special than I am, that'll keep you yeah. right, right there. Yeah, and so it's very strange when people give gifts or they say that they wait hours in line for things. I always feel like I have such a bizarre robot-like reaction to it because I can't totally relate, but it's so flattering and it weirds you out in a way you're like, for me? And it makes me want to work that much harder. Yeah. yeah. People bring gifts that are so incredibly thoughtful. Like people bring gifts for my dog now. And oh it's my like, God, yeah. What kind of dog do you have? She has this mix. Her face looks like a boxer, but she's this little like stout thing. I think she's got English bulldog in her too. She was kind of forced upon me a couple years ago when I first moved out to Los Angeles. I got the dog bug. She showed up on your doorstep with a suitcase and said, yeah. like, I'm not leaving. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, you speak English. <laughs> She has like a ton of behavioral issues. Uh-oh. Yeah. She how, just, how long have you had her now? I've had her for like three years now. Oh, okay. And so she loves me, which is great, but she's 
uber protective of me. So she's very, very aggressive with other humans. So she's a little bit complicated. But it's nice because I'm a huge introvert and I love being home. So I just sit at home with her and she's my built-in security system. And she's really great. So you mentioned being an introvert. Yeah. I think it's so amazing. I mean, I started an e-commerce business. I started an eBay store. I'm an an introvert. And I think for this generation... Mm -hmm. The digital world makes it possible to connect with people in a way that's so different from standing behind a counter and greeting people all day long. Or hundred percent, yeah. So what you know? What have your challenges been as an introvert as you've come out into the world? Sure, I've only recently in my life learned to celebrate the fact that I'm an introvert. When I was younger, I was never really social, and it gave me a lot of anxiety and. But I always wanted, I felt like, well, you're supposed to want to be the life of the party. You should be out there socializing. And I just couldn't wrap my head around it. And then I realized that an introvert isn't someone that doesn't like socializing necessarily. It's just someone that doesn't draw energy from socializing. Instead, it draws energy out of them. So I started celebrating it. And that's like the beauty of the Internet is that it has created this wonderful paradise for introverts to kind of thrive and Mm -hmm. be extremely successful because you can connect on like a global level. So you've called yourself the CEO to the PA. Like you're the CEO of your own brand, basically. Oh, yeah. You're the CEO mm-hmm. of everything that you do. What does your team look like? And what's it like sure. going from having been probably a one-girl act to, and you still are, but I'm sure you have people that you work with. Yeah. I only recently hired an assistant who was a PA on the first movie that we did called Camp Dakota. And... On set, I used to just hand her, because I would vlog behind the scenes all day while we were shooting, I would hand her my camera while I was shooting, and she'd shoot a bunch of stuff for me. And so she became a friend, and I like working with people that I know and people that I get along with, especially to bring them into, like, the personal side of things. And she's been fantastic. What's her name? Diane. Thank you, Diane. Yeah. Hi, Diane. (laughs) That's been really great, but that's been a long time coming. I am one of those people, and I'm sure you're this way, too, where you assume you can... do everything yourself Mm -hmm. and handle it all yourself. I'm still learning that I can't. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of YouTubers by nature are a little bit control freaky and a little bit of the mindset that they can do everything, Mm -hmm. which is great because that is what it takes to create content on YouTube and to be successful there. But I have a manager and an agency and that whole thing. But I should have an editor, but I don't. Oh, my don't. God. Do you edit all your own videos? I, I do have an editor that edits the videos that go along with my podcast, which has been a really huge help. But that's a close friend, too. And the producer on my podcast is my friend from four years ago. Wow. And yeah. So I really like working with people that I know and that I can trust on a level and I get along with. Yeah. So it doesn't feel like work, which yeah. is great. So you have a book. I do. I have a book out already called Grace's Guide, The Art of Pretending to Be a Grown-Up, which is a tongue-in-cheek self-help book. Cool. Yeah. It it was really fun to write because it's half real advice that I would give a close friend based on things I've learned in my life from other people and from experiences, and then half just kind of bullshit advice about life. What three tips do you have for someone who's 
pretending to be a grown-up and wants oh, to make it artful. The biggest tip I can tell you is resign yourself to the fact that you don't know anything. And actually, totally. I, yeah, I did an interview with Larry King, and he told me that. He said, the greatest thing I know is that I don't know. And I'm not smarter than the lawyer, and I don't know more about medicine than the doctor. And it's always great to come from a place of complete curiosity and not be afraid or ashamed or think that that makes you less than or not as smart or whatever it might be. And I was so all about that. I end all of my YouTube videos with the phrase, I don't know. And I thought that that was a real revelation in my life to be comfortable with that and to be excited by the fact that I don't know because life is, you know, continuously educational process. So I think that's huge. And that's part of the catalyst for why I wrote the book in the first place was that I was reading a lot of self-help books that seemed really definitive and seemed unabashedly like they prescriptive ha- yeah yeah like same. they had the greatest best advice and this was the correct way to live your life if you follow these steps and these things will happen for right. you like who is i don't know how these people are comfortable taking responsibility for other people's lives like that. yeah and when i first started in new york before i was like i'm gonna wait tables and just audition for things i bounced around to a bunch of different jobs and one of them was doing some video stuff with my roommate at the time for a life coach. And so we got deep into this world of life coaches and we're filming events for them and and retreats for them. And it was such a bizarre, interesting world. And the frenzy of people that eat all of it up and that want to be just like bathed in all of the advice was such an interesting thing to see firsthand. And also to realize that it's all pretty much bullshit Mm -hmm. (laughs) firsthand. Mm -hmm. And so it was really fun to kind of write the book from having seen that, like the inside world of life coaching and then being able to kind of step away and have a separate point of view on it. Yeah. And so this next book is called Grace and Style, The Art of Pretending You Have It. And it's a comedy style guide. What's your (laughs) process like when you write a book? It changed this time. I thought that I had my, uh, you know, finger on the pulse of my process from writing the first book, which was that I would just have a couple drinks during the day and (laughs) sit down and just kind of write. And this time around, I really wanted to be very sober and focused about it. And I'd already had a huge obsession and fascination with the beauty world on YouTube, beauty gurus in general. Yeah, it's really helpful for someone like myself that isn't beauty inclined to learn about different products and techniques and that sort of thing. But it's also a very interesting, obsessive community, too. Yeah. So I just really let myself kind of emerge in all of my guilty pleasures of beauty bloggers cool. and everything. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. It's like it's the stuff that it's what you put on in the morning. It's, yeah. You know how you present yourself. Yeah. You know, I think fashion gets a bad rap for lots of different reasons, but personal style and it's <laughs> it's like what you do to make yourself feel great in the morning. Yeah. I think it's important. I mean, you're not wearing very much makeup right now. Like what no. four products do you stand by? My routine changes a lot because my schedule fluctuates a lot, so it's hard to say that there's one way. Deodorant is key. (laughs) What deodorant do you use? Oh, it changes. It's literally whatever I buy in the grocery store that I just reach for. It's like a secret or a dove or something like that. Cool. Pretty standard. And deodorant, I feel like you can use for so many things. It's like a perfume. It is a mini shower if you need it. Put it behind your ears. Yeah, exactly. I've done that. So I've literally, before going into (laughs) parties and have assessed my 
personal hygiene level have like used makeup wipes to wipe my feet and put deodorant on them because I've wow. been yeah that's a beauty tip and a trick if but no one's looking it. at your feet just the odor <laughs> yeah <laughs> Cool. You should probably start wearing socks. Yeah, that should be something that I do. Um, <laughs> I'm so not wearing any. Socks are a great tip. Uh, <laughs> Just socks. Yeah. Okay. Do you consider yourself like a girly girl? Not at all, which is also why I really wanted to write this book because I feel like there is a whole genre of girls out there that... W- aspire to that beauty guru level but just don't necessarily have it in them or might be focused in other areas and yeah, so, like you're busy yeah like <laughs> I got other stuff it's not what you do for a career <laughs> yeah and so being able to kind of speak to that for that kind of group of girls because my audience is primarily female it skews about 80 20 female to male and they're mostly teenagers early 20s or millennial And they're not the beauty guru community necessarily. And so being able to kind of come from a tomboy, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. kind of point of view about it, but still aspired to be feminine and pretty. And it's really important. Do you have a lot of girlfriends? I have a small group of girlfriends that are really close. My two really close friends, Hannah Hart and Mamrie Hart, are also YouTube content creators, and we do a lot of work together. Uh, And you're working on something with Hannah Hart, right? Yeah, we just finished, at the beginning of this year, we did this series, which is a relaunch of the 70s series called Electro Woman and Dinah Girl. And it's a superhero series that we shot eight mini episodes of. That's cool. going to come out in January, I believe. Oh, wow. Yeah, which is really exciting. It was really so a bizarre cool. experience to play a superhero. Yeah. Do you have like a special superhero voice? No, it's my own voice, which is great because we really wanted to make kind of the Gilmore Girls version of superheroes that were friends with each other. And like, what do they do in between saving things and she's not just superman's replica with boobs yeah exactly exactly so i saw this stuff on online like your fans got really upset when e tweeted something to you after like the teen teen choice awards awards that was a weird situation YouTubers got really upset by it because it basically dismissed and spoke pretty negatively about the whole space, which was unfortunate because I had always commended E and still commend E on the fact that they gave me a TV show and that they were so incredibly open and really wanted to infuse the internet in their network. And I thought that was so commendable because a lot of networks are really scared of the digital space or just unaware of it. And I didn't even know it was happening until I went to... A Lindsay Sterling concert, who's another friend and content creator, and a lot of YouTubers were there. And afterwards, we were all hanging out. And two of my friends, Joy Graceffa uh, and this guy Daniel, walked up and they were like, Oh man, how are you doing with the E thing? And I was like, What are you talking about? They're like, You haven't seen it? You should go online. They wrote this strange article that was really dismissive of YouTubers and the whole digital community. And then Tyler Oakley responded to it, classic Tyler Oakley. Oh. And then they responded to Tyler Oakley. And so after the concert, like 2 a.m., I went back and I was going through everything and I read the article and it was just such a bummer. It's, it felt really embarrassing because the article was 
basically like 15 reasons why you didn't miss out on the Teen Choice Awards or something. And, and it was like, I am old. Yeah. It, it's like the Teen Choice Right. Teen and choice I totally words. get the joke of being like, I'm so out of touch. But when you're going to say that, it should be self-deprecating on you rather than like hateful on the people that you're talking about. So Tyler responded to the article and said something along the lines of, if this is representative of your brand, I fear for its longevity. And then they responded in a really passive-aggressive way. Remember when we gave that YouTuber her own show? Like, gave you your show? Yeah, and the worst part was they didn't even tag me in it. And I was, I really wanted to respond, this has always been your problem. You've had a difficult time promoting me. Uh. And so it was really shady and strange. And then they responded with, like, another passive I saw the whole exchange. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the time the intention at the top – Cannot, yeah. can sometimes not make it all the way through a company, especially one as big as E. Oh, I know absolutely. that at Nasty Gal, it's like, there's, you know, there's just, you can't control everything that happens. Right. And you want people to, like, have a voice. So I'm sure whoever wrote that has been spoken to or maybe yeah, hopefully fired. But who knows? There's a lot of people that I actually know that work on their digital team that I've known for years from the YouTube space that are very familiar and very supportive of the space. And so that on a personal level was a mm-hmm. strange thing to watch happen. And also I was checking this at 2 a.m. This had been sitting online all day. In my mind, I was like, had you guys just deleted this and been like, oops, sorry, we were trying to be funny, but we totally get it. I can't believe it. it's still online. Yeah, it was really strange that they stuck behind it. And it was just one of those things where, you know, if you see a friend do something that's not reflective of their character and you get bummed out because you know that they're better than that, mm-hmm. that's kind of how I felt about it. Yeah. And so and was really hoping that they would have made some amendment or something but they didn't and you learn and then you move forward and you realize like ah oh, if these are true colors they're not that flattering yeah <laughs> well good for you i mean it's it, the, the funny thing is is that you probably have a bigger audience than well I the mean, thing oh thanks well the thing I, I learned from making the tv show is that it is incredibly difficult to get a, a millennial to turn a television on and so it was a really educational experience and because media is constantly changing with Netflixes and Hulus and that whole universe, there are so many avenues and ways to create content mm-hmm. that it's it's almost overwhelming. Well, Grace, thank you so much for being here. <laughs> thank you this for was having me. Really fun. Same. I love hearing our voices through these headphones. <laughs> I know it's, it's so. so good. You're like we are so interesting. <laughs> uh, uh, in a world. <laughs> That's actually really good. Really, thanks. Yeah. You guys, we did it. That's episode number two of Girl Boss Radio. I'm so excited. This is so fun. It's like starting a new little business. Anyway, it better feel really good because it's only episode two. Our producer is Shara Morris. And thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Please let us know what you think of the show. You can find us on Twitter at Girl Boss, on Instagram at Girl Boss. I'm pretty sure you know how to spell that. Our email address is podcast at girlboss.com. You can find me on Sophia underscore Amoruso on Twitter and Sophia Amoruso with no underscore on Instagram. And if you like the show, please tell a friend and be sure to subscribe to us in iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe, but only if you like the show. It helps other people discover our show. I'm Sophia Amoruso. Talk to you next week.